innovating to solve the world's most pressing issues is not an easy undertaking. But within the area of life sciences, that's our shared goal, to improve human health and the state of the world that we live in. Looking at these challenges head-on can certainly be daunting, especially when we consider what's at stake. However, one way that industries can break down these near insurmountable challenges is by sharing knowledge and expertise through partnerships. My name is Victoria Wadsworth Hansen, and I'm the Global Director of Public Relations at Agilent. And in today's episode of the Agilent podcast, it's all about partnerships. I wanted to get to the root of why they are so critical, both for industries and for us personally, as well as understand more about how they can accelerate our shared visions today for a better tomorrow. I couldn't resist by starting off close to home and talking to Jack Wenstrand from Agilent. Jack spoke to me about his area of our organisation. It's one that we don't often hear about, but it's really important to our success. My name is Jack Wenstrand, and I'm Director of University Relations and External Research for Agilent Technologies. It's great to talk to you, Jack. We're talking about partnerships today, and I'm wondering why is partnering with academia so important for a company like Agilent? Partnering with academia is extremely important for Agilent, and it's because of three items key to our business, research, recruiting, and revenue. Research is a vast enterprise at universities um, with more than $100 billion invested each year in the United States and far more than that worldwide. By tapping into that research that is largely funded by other people, we benefit from the parts of that learning that are important to the future of our company. And you also mentioned recruiting and revenue. Uh, recruiting is, of course, key. We are dependent upon talented people joining our company each year um, to, to make our company successful. Finally, a significant fraction of Agilent's revenues come from sales to academic institutions. Universities depend upon our instruments, our supplies, and our services to conduct their research, and it's good business for us as well. So it sounds like these partnerships are definitely mutually advantageous. Could you give me an example of a program that Agilent partners with academia on? The Early Career Professor Award is, is one, of my, uh, one of my favorites uh, because it's in many ways the most academic award uh, we have. After we identify a topic that's important to academia and important to Agilent, we select based on significant original research um, of the candidate. This is a particularly fun award because the people that apply for this are amazing. The people who apply are outstanding. And I understand that this year marks the 10th anniversary of the Early Career Professor Award program. Why has this award been so important for academia and Agilent alike? With this program, we're able to at least pick one of these professors every year and help the best and brightest advance in their career. This program enables us to keep our faculty associates young, uh, evergreen. It connects us to the next generation of thought leaders to make sure that we are always exposed to new ideas important to the future of our company. I know that each year the award focuses on a different area of research. But what's the focus this year and why did you choose this area? The 2019 focus for the Agilent Early Career Professor Award is contributions to the development of breakthrough artificial intelligence solutions advancing cancer diagnostics based on image analysis of pathology slides. We chose this because the art 
of examination of a tissue sample by a pathologist is an art. Uh, it is subjective. It is not uncommon to have two pathologists disagree when examining the same slide in important ways. We believe that over time, machine learning and automated image analysis may help pathologists become more productive. And are you in a position to announce the 2019 winner? Um, the winner was Professor Saeed Hassanpour of the Biomedical Data Science Department at Dartmouth College. As part of his work, Professor Hassanpour uh, has developed novel, interpretable, deep learning approaches and data different methods for biomedical applications. What really distinguishes his work is that not only the interpretability, but also the acceptance of his work by the pathology community. Well, a massive congratulations to Professor Hassanpour, and thank you, Jack, for a really insightful chat. Talking with Jack really brought home the power of partnerships at the organisational level. But to explore the concept of partnerships at a more personal level, I wanted to look at how our day-to-day -day interactions within the workplace drive organisational success. And that's why I reached out to my next guest. So my name is Dr. Shannon Arvisu. I am a sociologist and the founder of Epic Teams. I'm really interested, Shannon, in how you apply your background in sociology to your work at Epic Teams. So uh, I'm a sociologist that works in primarily in technology um, and business. So one of the things that um, I do when I work with companies is that I help organizations understand the norms, beliefs, and practices that are implicit. And so my background as a sociologist really helps me kind of uncover those things that might be hidden and bring them to the forefront and then work with companies. Thinking about your work in this space, I'm really interested to know why maintaining positive workplace relationships can sometimes be such a challenge. Relationships in the workplace can be tricky to get right because we are not born knowing how to create good professional relationships and most of us are not taught how to create good professional relationships. And the people that do best are typically the people who either as a personality trait, they tend to relate well to others, they tend to be a little extroverted, and those that do even better are ones who have done work on themselves, that have been intentional about cultivating their emotional intelligence, their relational intelligence, if you will, maybe gone to workshops or read books or been exposed and have had a desire to get better at relationships. I love the notion of thinking about our workplace relationships as things that we have to intentionally work on and tend to. It's not just as easy as going on a team away day and thinking that everything will fall into place. Yeah, no, and I mean, particularly for those who tend to be a little bit more introverted, those sorts of away days and happy hours can be quite painful <laughs> and have like an opposite effect. That's a really good point. So I was wondering what are the core factors that make for an effective team? So there are a few core practices that enable teams to work well together. The first one is having a really strong sense of psychological safety. I mean, the stats are pretty clear. People are taking fewer vacation. They're working longer hours. Organizations are asking them to do more. 
faster and people are getting burnt out. And the only way that organizations are going to be able to get ahead is if they find ways for their people to be more creative about how they're solving problems. And the only way we're going to get more creative at how we're solving problems is if we have a strong level of psychological safety, if people feel safe enough to share things that they're noticing and that teams are open to hearing those things and have ways of collaboratively solving problems and making decisions. Psychological safety sounds like something we should all be paying attention to then. Yes, psychological safety is critical for businesses to be innovative, creative, and achieve the goals they want to achieve. And in your experience, Shannon, are there any industries that get this idea of psychological safety more right than others? Yeah, it's such a great question. When it comes to um, industries that are getting this more right than others, I mean, I live in San Francisco. I live in the heart of the tech scene. And I think there's often this perception that organizations where I live and work are getting it more right than others. And what I've noticed is, is that there can be more of an openness that we need to improve and we need to get better within these sorts of organizations. But it's not exclusive. I think pretty much this is a global phenomenon right now. Organizations the world over are recognizing that there's got to be a better way and doing more of the same is not helping. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks really very much indeed. Talking to Shannon about developing the confidence to innovate at a personal level got me thinking about how the same principles apply at an intercompany level too. So next, I spoke with one of Agilent's own long-standing partners. My name is Bob Simons. I'm an analytical chemist with Eurofins Environment Testing in Australia and New Zealand. My role is the regional technical manager, so I look after the developments in all of our laboratories um, in both those locations. And for those of our listeners who don't know Eurofins, could you just explain what Eurofins do? So Eurofins in Australia and New Zealand are doing environmental analyses. Um, so we're doing pollutants in soil and water and also in air. We've partnered with uh, Agilent for a, a variety of equipment, mainly in the organic analyses, and we're using some of the latest technologies from Agilent as part of that procedure. A lot of our environmental testing involves the routine type of equipment that most environmental laboratories have, and that's mainly in the life sciences area. But we've just entered a new area of looking at microplastics, and we're very excited about some of the new equipment that Agilent have been able to provide in that brief. Microplastics have become such a focal point when we think about our environmental impact. Why are they so important to study? Microplastics are important in the environment because they seem to be ubiquitous and there's a lot of unknowns about microplastics, whether they can be toxic in humans or not. Every day we see something about uh, microplastics in snow, uh, as it was this week, or in humans, um, like was reported last year in Austria. What are the most significant challenges when it comes to testing microplastics? Certainly the microplastic is an area that is cutting new ground and very exciting. The challenges with analysing microplastics is they're in everything that we have in the laboratory. So we have to have special laboratory with special airflows. Things like our lab coats, our conventional lab coats are 65% polyester. So we have to change to cotton lab coats and we have to be very careful with the 
all the consumables and reagents that we use to make sure that the microplastics are cut down as, as best we can. So our workflow is very much around stopping any false positives from occurring. That's really fascinating. I'd have never have thought about the issue of lab coats before. Something that's related to this challenge, I suppose, is the opening of your new state-of-the-art facility in Melbourne. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Our new laboratory in Melbourne took about two years from the start to the finish. So it was about a year of planning and then a year of construction. But the, the laboratory has been built upon lean principles. So it's a urophon's way of getting rid of waste and being an efficient laboratory. So the procedures in place have been quite significant in the workflows and it means that the time it takes to get samples out the door results to our clients has been enhanced through the new laboratory. Congratulations with your new site. It's great that Eurofins have built a new space that works well. And finally, Bob, how do you envisage the future of microplastics? And how will partnerships help you realise your vision? So the future of microplastics is going to be very challenging. Microplastics are defined as anything less than 5 millimetres down to about 10 microns. Below that, it's really the realm of uh, nanoplastics. Um, so that's going to be even more challenging. But one of the issues with microplastics is their ability to adsorb persistent organic pollutants in the environment and the potential for that to become a vector for human food and working through the food chain. Partnerships are very important because we're going to be developing the latest uh, techniques to measure microplastics. So we need not only the instrument manufacturers like Agilent, but also the researchers like the universities that we're partnering with as well. So it's very important that we have the latest information and also collaboration with both the suppliers of the instrumentation and our research providers. Thanks very much, Bob. And thanks again to Jack and Shannon for sharing their perspectives on why partnerships are very much important. My conversations really brought home to me what's possible when we take the time to build partnerships, whether they're between vast organisations or individual co-workers, through sharing knowledge, understanding different perspectives and committing to long-standing collaborations, we truly are able to advance what's possible. If we can look towards the future with trusted partners beside us, it seems to me that our future automatically looks much brighter. 